Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Genesis chapter 6 and Hebrews 11. I'm just going to read both this morning. I want to talk about today, continuing on as in the days of Noah, that we are to prepare our ark, get our ark ready. Begin to get the ark ready in the days in which we live. We're building an ark. God's working through us to build and accomplish His purpose. You know, God could have, while you're turning in your Bibles, God could have just spoke and an ark was created. God could have spoke and there, there would have been a, a mountaintop unaffected by the floods that only Noah and his family could get to. God could have chose any means possible to save Noah and his family, but he chose to enable and equip a man to work on God's behalf in a way that would glorify God. God is able to equip you today. He is able to give you the resources, the abilities, the talents, the skills necessary, and not only give you the ability and the talents to accomplish it, but He's able to provide every resource necessary to accomplish His plan. And so our job, by faith, is what Hebrews eleven seven says, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is according to the faith. And so Noah, by faith, we talked about this last week, received a word from the Lord and he set his hands to work. The Bible says that he was moved with godly fear. Faith was ignited in his heart. Faith by the word of God came and and was stirred up in his heart, and he set his hands to the work that God had set before him. In Genesis chapter 6, in verse 11, it says this, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark inside. You shall make it with lower and second and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing the flood waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh, and which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I, I love this verse 18, I will establish... I don't, I'm not going to preach on that today, but man, that will preach. I will establish my covenant with you. The covenant of the Lord in, in, maybe I will preach on this. The covenant of the Lord that is established, the covenant of God that was established with Noah was based not on Noah's good works. God established a covenant with Noah not because he built an ark. God established a covenant with Noah because of who God was. 
God said, I will establish my covenant with you. It has absolutely nothing to do with how great you are. I have chosen you. I have handpicked you. And I have established my covenant with you. Today, God has chosen you from all of the people on the face of the earth. He's handpicked you. He's displaying his love and his grace and his mercies through your life. It's not by accident that you're here today. It's not by accident that you're still breathing today. It's not by accident you're finding yourself here in the ark, the house of the Lord, when the rest of the world is sinking in misery and despair. It is the sovereign hand of God that has chosen you, that is glorifying himself through your life. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied with him. Are you finding your satisfaction in God? Or is your satisfaction in the things that you do? Noah found satisfaction. He found his pleasure in God. Isn't that really what sin is? Sin is, that's what the people of the time were doing. And they were finding their ultimate pleasure in anything but God. That's really what sin is, is finding our ultimate fulfillment, our identity, our pleasure, our purpose in the things of the world instead of God. And so Noah found his pleasure in God and God established his covenant with him. I'm convinced that if God can establish his covenant with a person in the days of Noah, in the midst of a perverse generation, he'll still do it today. He's established his covenant with you. He is glorified through your life as you begin to enjoy him. Let's continue reading. It says, I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you, and every, there was eight of them. And every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, and every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. You know, he, we could have done without the snakes. I mean, really. I mean, he could have just left the spiders and the snakes, you know. We could have really done without those. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive, and you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. And thus, verse 22, love this, thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him to do. Here's Noah. He's 500 years old. He's up in age. You know, we would think he's up in age. He's 500 years old. And God speaks to Noah at 500 years old. Noah, you're going to build an ark, buddy. You are never, can I say this? You are never too old to endeavor in the things of the Lord. It's not the end. It's only the beginning. Noah had wisdom that he gained over the 500 years. Noah had watched. He had watched as people perfected their skills. He had watched as people uh, gained wisdom and understanding in the arts and the crafts. And he gained wisdom and understanding in all that was happening. And he watched the world advance and yet decay. And in all of this, he gained understanding and wisdom and knowledge how to take the blueprints that God gave him and build an ark. And so I want to say to you that just because you may be a senior saint today, or you may feel like a senior saint today, wherever you fall into that category, life is not over. It's only beginning. You have wisdom, you have uh, knowledge, you have experience to impart into the younger generation. Don't keep your mouth shut. 
Don't keep your hands idle, but get busy about the things of the Lord. Get busy about what God has called you to do. It's a whole new season. You know, I just feel like the Lord would say to someone today that's maybe, maybe older than me and, and say this, it's a new season. It's a new day. Don't try to stay in the past and the old seasons when God's busy changing your scenery. If God's trying to change your scenery, you know, one of the things we, we love about, you know, being in Akron is that there's four seasons. We don't just have summer and summer. We, we, have, we have four seasons. And we have learned to love winter. I, our first winter here, you know, and I grew up in the Midwest, and so, you know, we had winter. We didn't have winter like we have winter, but we had, we have winter and, and I learned our first winter here how to value the Word of God in wintertime, in, in the midst of the snow. And I, did, I began to discover, I, and Heather and I looked at each other and said, we are not going to become cranky Christians over the snow. We are going to find what the Word of God says about the snow. And you know, there I had verses every day about the snow. There's, you know, the Bible talks about snow, talks a lot about snow. And so I, I began to enjoy the Lord through the snow. Sometimes we're in the middle of a winter and God's trying to bring us into springtime, but we like the wintertime because we've gotten, we like the snow, we like the cold, we like the deadness of the trees. You know, we've gotten used, we've gotten used to the dead things around us when God's trying to change us into a new season. Don't stay stuck in the old when God's trying to bring you into something new. But Anyway, that's not my message. It's just a word of encouragement for somebody today. 500 years old, Noah sets his hand to build. He had three sons. You know, we, we're not real sure. The genealogy here tells us that when he was 500 years old, Noah had Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem become, becomes the lineage of Christ. So we're not real sure how old and the flooding and all the details. Some people say that Noah took him 120 years to build the ark. I don't necessarily think that that's true, given the genealogy, unless the Lord spoke to him a prophetic word about his sons. Because God said, take you and your sons and their wives and go into the ark. So that gives us about a hundred-year period where... Noah began to build, probably more like 50, 60, 70 years. But he begins to build the ark. The Bible gives us the, the atmosphere and the environment of this time. In Genesis 6, 5, it says, Wickedness of man and every intent of a thought and hearts was evil continually. 6, 1 says, Men began to multiply on the earth. It was an exponential increase. Genesis 4, 17 says that they were building cities. They knew how to sustain themselves. They knew how to sustain cities and governments. In Genesis 4.19, Lamech, the evil son of, uh, of uh, Cain, has, has multiple wives. Polygamy begins. In Genesis 4.20, they were having cattle ranches. In Genesis 4.21, they were making instruments, becoming musicians. In Genesis 4.22, it says they learned how to cultivate and make ironworks or metalworks out of brass and iron. In Genesis 6.11, it says that the world had become corrupt and full of violence. This was the context 
of what Noah was experiencing when the Lord began to speak to him. In the midst of a perverse and evil generation, God spoke to a man named Noah. Maybe, maybe this morning, in the midst of a perverse and evil generation, in the day in which we live, God might find somebody in Akron, Ohio, who will have favor with him, who will walk with him, who will live rightly in a perverse generation. I wish I had somebody that would preach with me this morning. Maybe, maybe this morning there's somebody here that will make a decision to live right before the Lord, that will walk with the Lord in the midst of a perverse and evil generation that says, Lord, in spite of the day of evil in which we live, I will lift the standard of holiness and righteousness. I won't give in to the sinking sands of the world around me, but I'm going to stay in the boat. I'm going to get in the ark where it's safe. That's where I'm going to live. We're going to build us an ark, baby. And that's where we're going to camp out. We're going to, and that doesn't mean we separate ourselves from the world. You all know what I'm talking about. But, but we have to lift the standard of righteousness. Noah, it is said of him that he walked with God. Three people, four if you count Eve, three men, are. this is mentioned of Adam, Enoch, and now Noah. In the middle of of the, the thousands, 1,600 years of history, three people are known to walk with the Lord. Three, in the midst of an evil and a perverse generation, will you step up? Will you allow God to use you? God spoke to Noah and he said, look, the wickedness is great. I'm going to judge them. Here's what you're going to do. I'm going to provide a way of escape, and I'm going to enable you. I'm going to empower you to build an ark. And not only am I going to enable you and empower you, I'm going to give you the blueprints for what you're going to do. And then I'm going to save you. I'm going to close you in the ark. God closed them in, closed the door in the ark. And he says, I'm going to save you in the midst of the perverse generation. In Genesis 6.22, it says, Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. Hebrews 11.7 says this. We read it earlier. He was moved with godly fear. The fear of the Lord, because of faith in his heart, the fear of the Lord was stirred in him and he responded. When you and I begin to see the context of the world that's around us, the evilness, the perverseness, and the coming judgment by faith, You can't see it in the natural eyes, but when you see it by faith, you ought to be moved with a godly fear to respond for those around you. There are people around you that are perishing. They are sinking in the floodwaters of their sin, and God has equipped us. He has empowered us to build an ark of safety and salvation. Christ has come. He's become our propitiation. He has become the sacrifice that that frees us from the sin that liberates us from our past. We have the message of the gospel. We have the house of hope. We have an anchor for their soul in the middle of troubled waters. It's time as a church that we extend the life raft and get them on the boat. We're building an ark. We're building an ark with the presence of the Lord. There are some emotions that you and I might go through that would keep us from responding. An unhealthy fear. An unhealthy fear of failure. God, what if, what if I don't build the boat right and it sinks? I mean, I'm sure that Noah had these thoughts. 
you know, we've never built an ark before, Lord. This is a new adventure for us. We've never done this before. And you want me to build it out of what and how and how big? And you know how long this is going to take? But what if I miss it and it sinks? Fear of failure. Maybe fear of rejection. Lord, don't you know that all these people don't like what I'm doing? The government's meeting and conspiring against me. People are, are telling me how stupid I am for even thinking about building. We've never seen rain. What are you talking about? There's going to be a flood. We've never seen rain before. By faith, Noah perceived these things. Fear of rejection. Maybe, maybe you might be afraid of this morning your past repeating itself. Maybe you've had a bad experience in your, in your past with church or a bad experience with church people. You know, I've seen this before. We've all had it. We've all been there where we've had... Don't look at me like you're holier than me. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You've had bad, some of you have had bad experiences with me. You don't like me. <laughs> Fear will keep you from building the ark. Pride will keep you. I don't need an ark. I'm okay. Or I'll build an ark, but I can do it on my own. I don't need, I've got this. Very, there's another word for that. It's called self-reliance. The same God who started the work in you is faithful to complete it in you. You become a co-laborer with him. He empowers, he equips, he gives you the desires, he gives you the resources. The minute that you try to do it on your own is the minute that you begin to fail. That's when your boat's going to sink. And then the other thing that we notice here is that Noah walked with the Lord. Lack of passion or lack of walking with the Lord will affect your ability to launch out. What happens is you begin to replace your time with God with other idols. Because that's really what they are. Your job, your success, your career, your finances, your family. All of these things become idols in place of the Lord. Instead of making a priority of walking with the Lord and hearing from Him, we begin to put something else in its place. And it makes it difficult to hear from the Lord. And so when you start going to build your ark and do what God's called you to do, burnout sets in. You begin serving in a ministry of the church and you're doing it as a favor to the Lord. You're doing it as a favor to the church. You're doing it not out of the abundance of what the Lord is speaking to you. You're doing it out of an obligation. And then what begins to happen? You get offended at somebody. Somebody ruffles your feather. How do I know this happens? Because I see it all the time. This is, this is welcome to church. Welcome to ministry. Well, I, I'm going to do you a favor. And, and we don't consciously say that. No one would ever consciously say, oh, I'm just going to do the pastor a favor and do this ministry for him. But then when it becomes about me and not about what the Lord is speaking to you, it becomes if I, the, the first time that you walk into church and I don't smile at you. Well, I'm offended. I'm, I'm doing him a favor by being here today and he didn't even smile at me. I'm smiling to everybody today. <laughs> smile. And so these are the emotions that can keep us from launching out. I read this quote last week and I'll share it again today. McLaren says this, unless a man's faith is warm enough to melt his heart, it is worth very little. Has, the, has your heart been stirred by the faith of God in you? So we're going to build an ark. We're building an ark in case you hadn't noticed. 
And we're building an ark. But how, how do we go about it? How do we build the ark? Well, first off, we've got to know what we're building. We've got to understand the structure of what God has given to us. We have to know what we are building and understand the components of a healthy church. We have to understand the components of a healthy church and building the structure that God has placed before us. God gave Moses the blueprints of what he was supposed to build. Amen? God gave Moses the blueprint. I'm saying Moses. Noah gave Noah the... I knew that was going to happen. I always get the two intertwined. God gave Noah the blueprints for what he was to build. And in church, we have the same thing. What are the components of a healthy church? One, soul winning. Romans 10, 14 says this, How then shall they call on him and whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Each of Amen. Are you with me this morning? Each of us are called to win the lost. What is the part of the structure of the, of the ark that God's building here at Celebration Church? Soul winning. Each of us ought to be engaged in reaching the lost. Every day. God has placed someone in your path. You know, Heather and I were just having this conversation this week. We have seen time and time and time again people that God's placed in our life, people that show up in our ministry, show up in, in the office, show up at the church. You never know if it's the last day that they'll have. You never know if it's the last encounter that you'll have. Don't waste the opportunities that God's placed before you. Maybe you, maybe you hadn't noticed, but the news reported on it. In one weekend, in this four-state four area, 225 heroin deaths. May, may, in one weekend, maybe you didn't notice that. May, maybe you haven't noticed the deaths and, the, and all that's going on around us. Terrorism and all the things. May, maybe you've been lulled to sleep and, and, the, and sensitivity to the things that are happening around us has been dulled. But I want to tell you and make you aware today that there is reality of eternity that is staring each of us in the face. And God has empowered us not to sit on a pew and that's only it. That's everything. That's the end of life. Is to come. I'm going to be empowered to sit in church. I'm going to be empowered to have a good time at church. God empowers you to take what you've received outside of these walls. God's empowered you. He's equipped you. You shall receive power to be, oh, that's scary. You have received power to be witnesses. So our calling, our mandate from heaven is that we are to be soul winners. There are hurting people. There are broken people all around us. You know, we see this at Night of Hope month after month. But that's not, that's not the end. That's not the solution. If your soul winning is Night of Hope, you've missed You've missed four other weeks of the month, three other weeks of the month. That's just, that's just the launch pad. That's the culmination of a month lived of reaching the loss. And that doesn't mean that every person you find, you got to go, let me tell you, sister, about what the Lord says about your soul. You're going to hell. You need to repent. <laughs> let me lay hands on you, sister, before you get... Those demons have got to come out. You know, we get that. So she has no demons. 
You know, we get, that's the impression that we get. Yes, you might now. That, that's the impression. That's the impression that we get of soul winning. But soul winning is sharing your life. Just tell somebody what God's doing in your life. Just share with somebody what God has spoken to you. You know, the problem, though, is, is God's not speaking to it. We're not listening. We're not having a revelation. We're not walking. And so, like we said earlier, the lack of passion, the lack of walking with the Lord prohibits you from building the ark. The second component of a healthy structure of what we're building is discipleship. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples. Now, discipleship doesn't happen on Sunday mornings only. This is a life live. You know, Heather, Heather has this um, reputation now. It's so funny. We laugh about this. This reputation of being a person of no excuses. She, she, those, that, those that work out with her and go to the gym with her have, have learned that there's a saying. You can't be around Pastor Heather and work out anymore because there's no excuses. I mean, she's eight months pregnant and she's kicking everybody else's rear end at the, at the gym. And so there's no excuses. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is a life of no excuses. I know everybody just got excited about that. <laughs> we like our excuses. Well, I just don't feel like it today. I'd rather eat my potato chips and sit on the couch. <laughs> I don't feel like going. I don't feel like worshiping today. I don't feel like giving today. How many? We've all said that. We've all been there. I've, I've said it there. But I don't feel like preaching today. I don't want to look at another person today, Jesus. I've been, I, we've all been there. <laughs> We have all been there. But discipleship says this, Romans 12, 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Burn, baby, burn. Let your flesh be consumed on the altar of sacrifice. Hebrews 12, 1 says, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets. Get rid of every weight. Are you running the race with the Lord? You know, every one of us here today is on a different track. You know, I, I share this with leaders a lot. This is an example I give a lot. But every single one of us are on a different track. I'm not going to expect you to run at the same pace I'm running. I don't anticipate that those that are just starting out in this Christian life are going to run at the same pace that I am. But they better be on the track. I don't expect you to run in the same lane, in the same pace. You know, Steve can tell us all about running. I'm not a runner, so I'm just using Bible examples here. So, he's got kids that got this nailed. So, but, but not everybody's going to run at the same pace. I mean, this is just basic. Not everybody's going to run in the same lane. Not everybody's going to be as qualified. But everybody's going to run the race. Everybody in this room today ought to be running the race of their salvation. But... Along that journey, find the track that you're supposed to be on and run with endurance. Find your pace, find your place, and run with endurance. Don't give up. Keep running. And get rid of everything that hinders you. 
When you go out and run a race, you're not going to put on your winter coat and your big old rain galoshes. You're going you're to wear clothes that's befitting for running. And likewise, in the spiritual race of discipleship, you're not going to be encumbered, encumbered by the things of this world. You're going to lay them aside, lay aside the offenses, lay aside the hurts, get rid of the emotional things that hold you in bondage, and run the race. Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The great danger that most believers are unaware of is the slippery slope of two religions. One that is a gloriously biblical gospel that liberates us, makes us alive to Christ, and makes all of the gospel available to us. The second is a mediocre Reader's Digest gospel that leaves the power of the gospel behind on Sunday, which somehow enables us to move from Sunday to heaven without much influence from God in our day-to-day lives. We know that God created all things, accomplished our salvation, but beyond His involvement in the prayer of salvation, we do not feel He is able, willing, or chooses not to involve Himself in the menial things of our life. The latest revelation from God has become a distant, has become a distant memory, and His daily presence has become a mental ascent and not experience. Discipleship is not just what happens here on Sunday. It's lived out every day of your life. In Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he describes what discipleship looks like. Here's a couple of of notes from him. He says, There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of the Christians called holiness. Religion in our day has been captured by the tourist mindset. So many have a bent for religious entertainment. Two biblical designations for people of faith, disciple and pilgrim. Disciple says we are people who spend our lives apprentice to a master. We are in a growing, learning relationship always. Pilgrim tells us that we are people who spend our lives going someplace, going to God, and whose path for getting there is the way, Jesus Christ. It's so key to remember that following Jesus is a lifestyle on the move. We don't stop to admire what we've accomplished. Rather, we press on to what lies ahead. They are not monuments, but footprints. A monument only says, at least I got this far, while a footprint says, this is where I was when I moved again. Discipleship is the first word in Christian immigration. We're called to a journey of daily death to self. I know this sounds so exciting. This is the structure. This is the structure of the ark that God's building. Thirdly is the fellowship of the believers. We are called to fellowship together. The New Testament church gives us a great example of this. Acts 2.42 says they continued steadfastly in doctrine and fellowship, eating prayers. Acts 2.43 says that great fear were on all who believed. Acts 2, 44 through 45 says that they had all things in common, selling their possessions and their goods and gave as anyone had need. They continued, you know, that's pretty powerful. We'll just, we'll just pause, let that sink in for a moment. They sold all that they had. Okay. Acts 2, 46. Continue. <laughs> Y'all need to laugh. It's a good joke. Communal living. It's a powerful thing. Acts 2.46, they continued daily with one accord in the temple and eating together from house to house. 
Acts 3, they went to the temple for prayer together. In Acts 4, they prayed together. And the place where they were was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they preached the word of God with boldness. In Acts 4.32, they were of one heart and one soul. In Acts 4.33, great grace was upon them all. In Acts 5, they first faced persecution together. In Acts 6... They served together. In Acts 7, they watched Stephen martyred together. In Acts 8, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, and the rest of them went out preaching around the world together. This was a community of fellowship, of koinonia, of partnership. The Greek word koinonia is like a marriage, a joint fellowship, a partnership. You and I are partnered together. Now listen, we are, we are in this ark together. We're in the boat together, and you, you may be here this morning, and you're looking at the person next to you thinking, I don't want to be on the boat with them. They stink. Uh, you might be worried this morning if they're going to eat your food. Uh, you know, that was the problem in Acts. They ate my food. <laughs> they're going to eat me. They want me. They're after me. They're after blood. I don't, I don't like being on this ark with these people. Listen, you could stay on the ark and learn how to love one another. You can learn to be healthy and have a thriving life on the ark. Or you can jump ship. You can jump out the boat. I wouldn't recommend it. You know, it's sinking. There's a lot of water out there. People are sinking in their, min- in their misery, in their despair, and their despondency. You jump, you jump out there, you, you're on your own. You have stepped from out of the covering of the Lord over your life. And you're just, you're looking you're looking for all of the waters to engulf you and to drown you in the misery and the despair of this life. So learn to like those that are around you. Learn to love those that God's placed in your life. Understand that maybe God's placed the person you're sitting next to, and don't elbow your spouse. Maybe, maybe God has placed the people around you to change, to use them to bring change and discipleship in your life. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Good preaching, Pastor. Keep it up. <laughs> and fourthly, we've got to live the reality of the gospel. Noah was living what God said. He was watching it unfold in front of his face. You know, when God spoke to us about Night of Hope, it's interesting because I would, have, I would have laughed. When God said, move to Akron, I laughed. When God said, you know, all of these things, I would never expect, never in a million years was any of those things on our radar. But when God spoke by faith, Noah moved with godly fear. Oftentimes there are things that are not even remotely on our radar. But when the Lord speaks, He ignites faith in our heart and we get busy about the work of God and all of a sudden we see the reality of it. We see the reality of what God has promised. We see the reality of what God has spoken. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul said, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Where does your faith lie? 
Are you looking for a preacher who's going to preach eloquent, persuasive words? Or do you want the reality of the gospel in your life? I'll take that. I'll take that. I want the persuasive, not the persuasive words, but the power of God every day in our church, every day in our people's lives. I want you to know, like Ephesians, Paul wrote to the Ephesians, I want you to know, to have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, to know, to know the power of God. I don't want you to just hear about it from a pulpit or see it displayed on a Sunday morning. I want you to experience it. I want you to live it in your daily life, when you're going about your business, your job, your school, your home life, there's faith on the inside of you to say, yeah, my brother can have a dream sent by the Lord. And buddy, you're on my bullseye list. I'm throwing prayer darts your way. And God's got your number, buddy. You're going to get born again. And whether you like it or not, God's got you and you are going to get born again. I believe in the power of the gospel. I believe that the same God who translated Philip is the same God who can give somebody a dream. My God, if he can pick somebody up off of the planet, transport them and set them, beam me up, Scotty, and set them down somewhere else. I think that God can speak in a supernatural way to somebody in a way that they need so that they get born again. And the great thing about it is right in the middle of God doing something supernatural in somebody's life, Insert you. You have the opportunity to walk in the reality of the gospel with someone. You have the reality of the gospel staring you in the face. Every Sunday morning, you have the reality of the gospel staring you in the face. We have gathered. We are, just as it was in the days of Acts, a New Testament church that has come together to worship the Lord, to sit under the apostles' teaching, to learn of the Lord. I'm not calling myself an apostle. I'm just teaching what the Bible says. To sit under the, the, the pastor's leadership and teaching and doctrine. To worship the Lord together, to see signs and wonders and miracles and salvations, to see the work of God. That's exciting. I don't have to go to a dead religious church. I don't have to go through liturgy and, and legalism. I can be a part of the Bible. I can live the Bible. I can live the Bible. That's exciting. Well, I'm only halfway through my sermon. I'll skip ahead in my notes, and I won't keep you, although I'd like to, because <laughs> I just want to keep preaching. But, but uh, I want to zero in as we wrap up on this verse, Genesis 6, in verse 20. Knowing the structure of what we're building, understanding what God's called us to build and, and the why of why we're building, understanding that, that we're being motivated by godly fear, by faith, that we have this relationship with the Lord. What's next? I ask our staff, our leaders, that question all the time, and, and they joke about it. They go around, they joke about it. What's next? You know, and all of their ministry, that's a question everybody wants to know. What's next? What's God saying? What's he speaking? What's he doing? What's next? What's the vision? What's happening? So I'll ask you the question. Understanding the structure, understanding what God's building, he wants to build an ark, what's next? 
So what? He wants to build an ark. He's using our church. So what? What does that mean for you? What's next? Moses, it indicates here kind of a similar theme in verse 20 of Genesis 6. I'll zero in on a particular phrase from this verse, but here's what it says. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. I want you to think about that for a moment. Two of everything is going to come to you to keep them alive. I'm going to give you the structure to build. You're going to build an ark. Salvation is up to me. I, God says salvation is up to me. I've got to give you the resources. I've got to give you the ability. I've got to make a way. But once I make a way, you're going to take what I've done. You're going to take the resources. You're going to take what I've given you, and you're going to set your hand to work. And here's what's going to be the result. People are going to come to you, and it's your responsibility to keep them alive. Salvation is up to me. But you have to create an environment for people to thrive. You have to create an environment for people to thrive. God's looking at you and I today, and he's saying, you have to create an environment. You have to have the food. Do you have sustenance? Is there, is there something of substance being offered at the table of the Lord in your house? In our ark, is there food? Is the, is the doctrine of the Lord being preached? And is the doctrine and the teachings being taken and lived out and explained and expounded upon in your daily lives and the fellowship of the brethren, all that you're doing within this structure? Are you taking the food that God is so graciously and generously lavishing us with every week? Are you taking that and, and expounding on it and fellowshipping together? There's the sanitation department. <laughs> you know, we have a spiritual sanitation department. You know, we have a janitor department. But we have a spiritual sanitation department as well. If you want to have people in the ark, there's going to be messes that you've got to clean up. Here's a, great, here's a great help with regards to spiritual sanitation. Forgive. Forgive. Well, he hurt me. I'm sure he did. Forgive. You're stuck with him. You're stuck with her. She on the boat with you and you ain't getting off. You are in this together. Some of you are married to the person. Forgive. You're definitely not getting out of that one. Communication. They had to communicate. A thriving environment. They had to communicate. You know, this week, George Umbauer is enjoying the presence of the Lord. <laughs> He's, he, is, he is greatly rejoicing today with no pain, no suffering. You know, and one of the greatest examples of leadership, and, I, and I'll embarrass Mike a little bit here, because we say this all the time, and, and some of our leaders catch it and understand it, but Mike is the, probably one of the greatest examples of recent time that I can point to of the power of communication and ministering to the body. We say all the time, our job is to what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We live that every day. We're living it. We got it. We're equipping, we're empowering, we're meeting, we're teaching, we're training. 
Mike has caught that. He got it. And what has he been doing? He's been going almost daily checking on George and Iris, checking in on them. And every day I get a text message from Mike. Hey, went and saw. This is what's happening. This is what's going on. We're covered. We're good. This is what's going on. Every day. And then at 9.30, 9.45 on Saturday morning, I get a phone call. George has stepped into eternity. Praise the Lord. I get to, guess what? Pastor Hat. Leaders have been ministering to the body. Leaders have been, has been ministering and encouraging and challenging. And now I get to be the pastor. The leaders have done their job, and now I get to be the pastor and come along and be the pastoral shepherd in the midst of the difficulty. That's what God's called us to be. That's the church. Yeah. And so Iris went on and on and on about Mike and how Mike has been such a blessing to the family during this time. And so I'm able to sit there as a proud spiritual daddy pastor and say, yep, he's got it. He is, he's a great leader. Yeah, he's awesome. Just sing his praise. Why? Because I knew what was happening. He was being the leader, and he was communicating with what was going on. He was taking care of the body, and he was reporting. That's what all of us ought to do. Yeah. That's all of us, especially if you're in leadership or a care group. That is the picture of leadership. Noah could not take care of all of those stinking, literally, animals himself. He had seven other people that were helping him on that boat. And then let me just highlight this. A healthy, thriving environment requires hospitality. It requires love and koinonia. You know, we, we are told very frequently, you know, y'all are the most loving church in town. You're the most welcoming church. I mean, we hear this all the time from our guests, from Night of Hope guests to church guests. I mean, we hear it all the time. Why? Because we have intentionally purposed that we want to be a place of hospitality. We want to be a place of love. It doesn't matter what you look like, smell like, think like. It doesn't matter. Whosoever will, come. Come to the table of the Lord. You might think differently. You might look differently. You might smell differently. You might look different than the animal sitting next to you in church. And I'm sure you do. That was a joke. You look different than the animal sitting next to you. But it doesn't matter. They're welcome on the ark. Get them on the boat. Get them on the boat. And let's all worship the Lord together. Let's be discipled together. Let's be changed together. And all of this was done by, coordinated by a man named Noah. I'll wrap up with this thought. All of this was coordinated by a man named Noah. Noah's name means comforter. Jesus said in John 16 that when the comforter has come, he will remind you of the things that I have taught you. The Holy Spirit is the divine orchestrator. He's the one that brings us all together in unity. He's the one that brings power to the ark. You know, you can, have, you can have principles and programs, but have no power. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he brings power to the programs, to the principles, to the times together. He's really the one that births and organizes and orchestrates this facility, this, this place we call the ark. Celebration Church. So where do you go from here? Well, my first question for you is this. 
Are you engaged in building the structure? Are you engaged in building the structure? What do I mean? Are you, in, are you involved in the soul winning, the discipleship, the fellowship, living out the reality of the gospel? Are you involved in the structure of the church? Secondly, do you understand and contribute to the vision? What's our vision? Acts 1.8. You shall receive power. Ooh, that was weak. You shall receive power. when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my Witness. witnesses. Power. You shall receive power to be witnesses. We receive from the Lord the power of heaven and become witnesses for God. Our vision that we are receiving from the Lord and there's a demonstration of the power that we've received in our daily lives. And then thirdly, how are you personally involved? How are you personally involved? And what you are involved with, is it effective? You know, if you, were, if you are on Facebook and you were following me on Facebook, I posted this week a video of, of a lady trying to sing at a funeral. If you didn't see it, you should go check out my Facebook wall and find it. It's quite humorous. And the title of the video was Why Everyone Shouldn't Sing. I, uh, I, I grew up in a church where we just let everybody sing. And, and if, you, if you didn't have the gift of singing, we would have what was called evening of praise. And so if we would put the A team on the regular schedule and then all the B, C, D, Z teams would be, would be on evening of praise and you just get your fill in on the evening of praise. Just sing, sing your heart out and everybody brings their earplugs. Maybe you're in one of those positions today where maybe where you're serving, you're not effective because you're doing it as an obligation or not because the Lord said so. You know, sometimes I understand that, especially when churches go through transition, people step into roles to keep the church going, and, and there's a place for that. But my question for you today is, are you doing what you're doing out of obligation, or has the Lord spoke to you? Has the Lord given you a birth? You know, you might be here today, and the Lord has spoken to you about doing a ministry that we're not currently offering. That doesn't mean that we're going to do it tomorrow. But my goodness, if the Lord's given you a vision for something, open up your mouth and say, you know, I feel like the Lord's speaking to me about this. And if it bears witness with us and what the Lord's directing and it fits into the vision of the church, who knows what God will do? And I, and I have a suspicion that God is not going to speak contrary to the vision that he's given the house. Just saying. So hear from the Lord. And it might be something simple. It could be very simple. I'm just talking very practically now. It could be very simple. You know, uh, Sandy sent me, she forwarded a, an email this week or two ago about foster children and a, and a Sunday to honor foster children. And I loved it. And I realized it's the same Sunday as the Sunday we're put, putting out toy boxes for, for our Christmas toy giveaway. Guess what we're going to do? It's a great opportunity to recognize what God's doing and what's happening in that community and in that ministry. It may be absolutely simple. It might be like Mike Workman saying, I like to grill. That's what I do. And guess where Angie's going to put him when there's a barbecue? Grill. And thank the Lord for it. It doesn't have to be a grand ministry. God might just start it off simple. 
So as we conclude today, I'm not going to give an altar call today as, as normal, but I'm going to ask you to go and stop by the ministry tables that are in the foyer. And if you're a part of a ministry, then you should go and support the ministry that you're part of and encourage the leader that's at that table and encourage them. You know, leading a ministry can be very challenging. I'm just speaking very practically. When you're overseeing things as a leader, it's nice to have the people that are following you, encourage you, and support you. Because God knows there's plenty of others who will do the opposite. (laughs) So it's nice to have those that are around you support you and encourage you. So if you're a part of a ministry, are you building up your leader? Are you encouraging them? Are you enhancing what they're doing? Are you distracting from what they're doing? Hello, y'all still with me? Am 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 I just making you tired this morning with the whirly swirly music? We've stepped into Willy Wonka factor here. (laughs) The reality this morning, are you enhancing the ministry you're involved with or are you distracting from? If you find that you're a distraction, maybe there's a heart alignment that needs to happen or maybe there's a new ministry for you to be involved with. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never served in a ministry. My question for you is why not? And if your response is one of the areas of negative emotion we talked about at the beginning of the message, fear, pride, lack of walking with the Lord, that's a wrong response. (laughs) Take a step back and say, Lord, what are you speaking? What are you saying? Now, don't look at me and tell me I'm just going to be very real with you. Don't look at me and tell me that you want to be in charge of a ministry and you're going to start and birth a whole new ministry if you can't help take out the trash. If you can't help, just open the doors for somebody. Now, not everybody's, you know, going to be long-term opening doors and taking out trash. But start with what God's given you. Start today. Start small. Start somewhere. Find what God has you to do and start the journey. Amen? Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for my friends here today. Lord, that we've had a great time in your presence. We've had a great time in the house of the Lord. We've enjoyed you. We've enjoyed the fellowship of our brothers and sisters. Lord, we've prayed. We've heard from the word today. Lord, I just pray that that you would speak, Lord, if it's not today specific, Lord, even this week, to folks that need to embark on a journey of getting involved and building the ark, serving in the ark, finding a place to make an atmosphere that thrives, a greenhouse for baby Christians, a place where, where the believers are encouraged and built up and strengthened. Lord, a place where we dive into the word together and live out on a daily basis what we've encountered and experienced. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, bless my friends today as they go. Lord, I pray for your blessing on their homes, their safety. Lord, that you bless in every aspect of their life. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.